You're listening to The Corbett Report. CorbettReport.com Welcome to the University of Virginia. My name is Philip Zellico. I'm going to be offering a course on the modern history of the world, and I invite you to join us. The fundamental lectures for this course for the students at the university and students reaching us through Coursera around the world are going to be offered online in this platform. This is a foundation for the study of how the world got to be the way it is today. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of the Corbett Report. I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, coming to you, as always, from the sunny climes of Western Japan, here on this 11th day of October 2013. Welcome to episode 284 of the Corbett Report podcast, Learn History with Philip Zelikow. Now, what we've just been watching is an excerpt from an introductory video to a, an online uh, course that is going to be available in January of 2014 that's entitled The Modern World, Global History Since 1760 with Philip Zelikow. The professor of history at the University of Virginia who hosts this online course available via Coursera.org. Philip Zelikow, Philip Zelikow, why does that name ring a bell? We would think about the study of history as, well, what happened in the past? What happened? Well, finding out what happened, just kind of what happened in the past, is often extremely hard. Um, I've served in the government in a number of different jobs over the last 30 years. One of those jobs in 2003 and 2004 was to manage a small government agency called the 9-11 Commission. Our job was to look into the facts of what happened on the morning of 9-11 and why it happened. It turned out to be extremely difficult just to untangle the story of what happened on the morning of 9-11. In fact, our commission discovered that the United States Air Force, the Federal Aviation Administration, had tangled up a lot of the critical details about where aircraft were, which aircraft was being dispatched to go where, and so on. So literally it took our commission years after the fact of this enormously important event just to get down to the truth of what happened on the morning of 9-11. Ah, uh, yes, that Philip Zelikow. Yes, well, for anyone who forgot or didn't know in the first place who the real executive director and thus the real string puller of the 9-11 Commission was, there he sits, Philip Zelikow, professor of history at the University of Virginia and someone who has done much else besides in his illustrious career in public service. And just for an overview, a synopsis, an official account of that career, we could turn to the official biography from the University of Virginia's website, which reads in part, quote, Philip Zelikow is the White Burkett Miller Professor of History and also leads the university's Graduate School of Arts and Sciences. He began his professorial career as a trial and appellate lawyer. He was a career diplomat, posted overseas and in Washington, including service on the NSC staff for President George H.W. Bush. His PhD is from Tufts University. Since leaving government service in 1991, he, was he has taught and directed research programs at Harvard University and at the University of Virginia, where he directed the Miller Center of Public Affairs from 1998 to 2005. 
In addition to service on government advisory boards and as an elected member of a local school board, he has taken two public service leaves from academia to return full-time to government service, in 2003-04 to direct the 9-11 Commission, and in 2005-07 as a counselor of the Department of State, a deputy, a deputy to Secretary Rice. He also advises the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation's program in global development and is a member of President Obama's Intelligence Advisory Board. End quote. Yes, Philip Zelikow, that Philip Zelikow. And now he's accessible by anyone who cares to sign up for Coursera's free uh, history of the modern world from 1760. The last 250 years of modern history encapsulated in a free online course by the good folks at Coursera. It must be a wonderful thing to be able to uh, to sponge up all that knowledge from such a knowledgeable person as Philip Zelikow. Well, guess what? Even though this course starts in January 2014, a previous version of this course already ran this past year, and yours truly was signed up to it. I caught word of it from a listener, and I decided to sign up and see what I could see from this course from this most esteemed professor. And much as you would expect, it's the exact type of history lesson that I think we've all experienced or been subjected to at some point or other in our lives. The type of history lectures that make you not want to study history, as opposed to the real history, which of course, as listeners to the Corbett Report will know, is fascinating and disturbing and enraging and engaging, and uh, the type of history that they desperately don't want people to know about, because if they did, people would become much more active in their lives and in the world around them politically and otherwise. But Coursera and Philip Zelikow has decided to do the type of boring, dry, staid, stately presentations of world history, the Americocentric, Eurocentric, usual garbage that we are taught as being the version of official history. And it's, uh, well, I got through four, four weeks of the course before, well, it's tuning out completely. Um, there wasn't very much in there that was of great interest to me, frankly. And uh, the January 2013 version of this course was 15 weeks altogether. The 2014, I believe, is 14 weeks. So something has been cut out there. But at any rate, uh, you can take that whirlwind tour of 250 years of history coming up this January if you so desire. And once again, it's through Coursera and it's free to sign up if you want to. And uh, I don't necessarily recommend it. But at any rate, you guys out there who do so can stick it out and see what he has to say about our current era and about 9-11 being the executive director of the 9-11 Commission, I'm sure he has a thing or two to say about 9-11 itself, which would be interesting, if nothing else, than to see what type of official spin and propaganda he puts on it. But, well, let's let's turn to Philip Zelikow and his real role in the 9-11 Commission, because, of course, as executive director, as I've mentioned, he was the real string puller of the Commission, and this is documentable in a number of different ways. In order to start documenting this, let's turn back to a 2007 lecture by David Ray Griffin, who, uh, who gave a lecture on confronting the evidence talking about the 9-11 Commission and Philip Zelikow's role in heading up that 100% cover-up and omission commission. We're also told in the preface that they intended their work to be independent and nonpartisan. Now, by nonpartisan, they meant that the committee was made up equally of Democrats and Republicans. Even this claim isn't quite true because the chairman of the commission, 
is Republican, and even more importantly, the executive director is a Republican. And this executive director, Philip Zelikow, is not just any old Republican. He was a member of the National Security Council of the Bush One administration, where he worked with Condoleezza Rice. Then during the Clinton years, when the Republicans were out of office, he and Condoleezza Rice co-authored a book. And I have co-authored a book with somebody, and I know you have to be very good friends and you have to share almost all beliefs in common. He then worked for the transition team for the National Security Council for the transition between the Clinton and Bush administrations. And finally then, he was appointed to Bush's Foreign Intelligence Advisory Board. So the commission is definitely not independent, if you mean independent from the White House, because the executive director represents the perspective of the White House. Now, why is this important? The executive director directed the work of the staff and the staff of the commission, not the commissioners, did almost all the work. And as director of the staff, he decided which lines of inquiry were worthy to be looked into, which subjects should be subject to research, and which ones should not. Therefore, as executive director, Zelikow could direct the staff to investigate those events that were relevant to the official conspiracy theory and simply ignore all events that would be supportive of the alternative conspiracy theory. Some critics, having read the 9-11 Commission report from the perspective of the alternative theory, have called it the 9-11 Emission Report. Well, this is a good name because it systematically excludes virtually every fact supporting the alternative theory. But given Zelikow's role, this should be no surprise to us. Some people have also called it a whitewash, and it is. But this, a term, this term assumes that the commission should have investigated the White House, that is, various kinds of evidence suggesting that there was complicity by the White House. But given Zelikow's position, any investigation of the White House would have been carried out by, essentially, the White House itself. A more accurate way to put it was that, as the White House's inside man on the commission, Zelikow was in position to make sure that the White House, along with the CIA, the FBI, the Pentagon, and the Justice Department, was not investigated. Once we understand this, we will not be surprised by the Commission's omissions. Well, hopefully that introduction goes some way towards painting the broad outline of exactly who this Zelikow was and why he did not make an impartial or unbiased executive director of the 9-11 Commission. Quite the contrary, it, uh, I hope, demonstrates how he was biased and compromised 
from the very outset and even, even before the very outset of that commission of inquiry. But in order to actually get down to the brass tacks and look at some of the nuts and bolts of how the 9-11 Commission cover-up took place, let's turn to uh, the always invaluable History Commons 9-11 timeline, which I will recommend once again as an invaluable source of information on 9-11 and the events and characters and dates and names and connections between all of those uh, players that took place on that day. And uh, let's start with an entry from that timeline from March 2003 under the headline Zelikow and 9-11 Commission Consultant Complete Outline of Final Report Before Staff Start Writing It. Quote, 9-11 Commission Executive Director Philip Zelikow and Ernest May, a longtime associate of Zelikow and consultant to the Commission, complete an outline of the Commission's final report, although the Commission has barely begun its work and will not report for another 16 months. The outline is detailed and contains chapter headings, subheadings, and sub-subheadings. Zelikow shows the report to Commission Chairman Tom Kane and Vice Chairman Lee Hamilton, and they like it, but think it could be seen as evidence that they have predetermined the outcome. Therefore, they all decide it should be kept secret from the Commission's staff. According to May, it is treated as, it were, as if it were the most classified document the Commission possessed. Zelikow comes up with his own internal classification system, labeling it commission-sensitive, a phrase that appears on the top and bottom of each page. When the staff find out about it and are given copies over a year later, they are alarmed. They realize that the sections of the report about the Bush administration's failings will be in the middle of the report, and the reader will have to wade past chapters on al-Qaeda's history to get to them. Author Philip Shannon will comment, Many assumed the worst when they saw that Zelico had proposed a portion of the report entitled The Blinding Effects of Hindsight. What blinding hindsight? They assumed Zelico was trying to dismiss the value of hindsight regarding the Bush administration's pre-9-11 performance. In addition, some staffers begin, begin circulating a parody entitled The Warren Commission Report, Preemptive Outline. One of the parody's chapter headings is Single Bullet. We haven't seen the evidence yet, but really... We're sure. End quote. So these are actual commission staffers, people who are working for the 9-11 Commission under the employ, ultimately, of the U.S. federal government, who are making a parody outline to match the one that was produced by Zelikow and his right-hand man, Ernest May, for the 9-11 Commission, parodying the Warren Commission and parodying the, the single bullet, uh, single lone gunman theory. I mean, this is just incredible stuff. And you'll notice that some of this sources back to Philip Shannon, who did the, uh, the real yeoman's work in sourcing a lot of this information and uncovering the truth about the 9-11 Commission cover-up. So I will direct you to philipshennon.com where you can read out more about his uh, book, The Commission, The Uncensored History of the 9-11 Investigation, which includes all sorts of wonderful little tidbits that he uncovered along the way. So again, there is a team of researchers out there that do continue to look for these pieces of the puzzle so we have a better understanding of how this cover-up was committed so that at the very least we have more of an indication of what to look for in the future. But this is, I mean, this is all very fascinating and I really do hope that people will continue into that research and continue uncovering the little pieces of the 9-11 Commission puzzle to find out how this investigation really was stifled, despite the efforts of some staffers who probably truly were interested in getting to the truth of what happened, but were actively prevented from doing so at every step of the way by an executive director who had already written the complete outline of the final report 16 months 
before that report was to be delivered. Well, let's turn to uh, back to the the free course, the the modern world from 16, 1760 that is going to be offered by Coursera coming this January, and which I have previewed and I have watched some of myself and. I want to draw your attention to just just a tiny little snippet from the first episode of that uh, that weekly uh, lecture series that is available through Coursera or will be very shortly, because it reveals a very interesting little piece of Philip Zelikow's thinking about history and the cycles of history that I think is important to take note of, given the preeminence of this scholar of history and his importance in the role of such things as executive director of the 9-11 Commission. All right, here's a picture of a volcano. A volcano is caused by geological circumstances. No human being made a decision that was going to produce the eruption of a volcano. The American Civil War, not like a volcano. This is not just, well, the lava just happened to erupt in 1861 because that was its time. No. Human beings made choices. They made a series of choices. That's actually what makes the story so interesting, is to understand those choices. How did they make them? Why did they make them? If you set up the why problems as choices, you can see how interesting this gets, because then all of a sudden you see history could have taken a different path. It's the things that did not happen that actually makes it interesting to study the things that did happen. Because you unpack choices people like you made long ago that could have steered history in a totally different place. When you examine those sorts of choices, what you'll find is a cycle that looks something like this. Here are people, they look at a situation, they see a problem or maybe they see an opportunity. They come up with some sort of solution to the problem from a menu of things that they see in front of them. Maybe they're not the things you would have seen, but you want to understand what did they think their solutions were. Maybe you would have come up with a different solution, but you're interested in figuring out what they thought their options were. Then after they take action and do stuff, huh, a new situation appears, and the cycle goes on. Hmm. Situation, problem, solution. Where have I heard something like that before? First of all, you create the problem, but you get someone else to be blamed for it. First of all, you create the problem, but you get someone else to be blamed for it. You then report that problem through the media in the way you want it reported. Then you get the public to react to your problem by saying something must be done, this can't go on, what are they going to do about it? And at that point, they, who have covertly created the problem and blamed someone else, who glean that reaction of do something, then offer the solution to the problems they have created. Problem, reaction, solution. Problem, reaction, solution. Problem, reaction, solution. Problem, reaction.
I love that tune. It's so catchy. Yes, that's where we heard it. Episode 47 of the Corporate Report podcast, Problem, Reaction, Solution, for those of you keeping track at home. And this is something that we have obviously talked about many times on this podcast in the past and in the other work at CorbettReport.com. And of course, many others in the alternative media have been talking about it for years as well. The idea, the fundamental principle behind the order out of chaos credo of the New World Order Mafia Syndicate and their gang members, this is what it really means, this is what it's about, this is how history is steered through generation after generation towards the preconceived, preordained solutions that the New World Order Syndicate want to bring about. Simply create the problem in order to provoke, uh, provoke a reaction from the public in order to get the solution that you want. And I don't think that it's very difficult to see how this applies to 9-11, but if we need any help in that regard, let's start digging into it and start digging into Philip Zelikow's connections to this aspect of 9-11 as well. In 1998, with funding from the Carnegie Corporation of New York, the JFK School of Government at Harvard University produced a report entitled Catastrophic Terrorism, Elements of a National Policy. The report called on readers to imagine an act of catastrophic terrorism that killed thousands and presented the following conclusions and suggestions in reference to the attack. It could involve loss of life and property unprecedented for peacetime. It could undermine Americans' fundamental sense of security within their own borders. Constitutional liberties would be challenged as the United States sought to protect itself from further attacks. More violence would follow, either as other terrorists seek to imitate the great success, or as the United States strikes out at those considered responsible. Like Pearl Harbor, such an event would divide our past and future into before and after. The report also promoted the creation of two new government offices, which would be responsible for the security of the American homeland after an attack. The first proposed office would manage preemptive strikes against suspected enemies, while the second would handle activities that affect prevention, containment, and management of the consequences of a catastrophic attack. Bearing an eerie resemblance to the Department of Homeland Security, the second office was to draw on the resources of the National Guard, FEMA, the Department of Health and Human Services, and other federal, state, and local agencies. Within three years, America experienced the catastrophic attack alluded to in the report. The September 11, 2001 false flag attacks. Subsequently, one of the three authors of the report, Philip Zelikow, became the executive director of the phony 9-11 Commission. And in 2002, the Department of Homeland Security was created in response to the 9-11 attacks. Unbeknownst to many Americans, detailed plans for homeland security had already been developed in the aforementioned report. That's right, folks. Back in 1998, Ashton B. Carter and John M. Deutsch co-wrote with Philip Zelikow an article in the 1990, November-December 1998 edition of Foreign Affairs entitled Catastrophic Terrorism Tackling the New Danger. 
And yes, just in case you need reminding, Foreign Affairs is the journal, the official journal of the Council on Foreign Relations. Surprise, surprise, a propaganda mouthpiece. So unfortunately, Foreign Affairs, the website, does not any longer allow general public access to this article. It's behind the Foreign Affairs paywall, and there's no way in hell that I'm paying the Council on Foreign Relations a dime for their propaganda. And I don't suggest you do either, but luckily enough, it is still preserved in its entirety at harvard.edu, and they even have a PDF along with the raw text. They have a PDF of the Foreign Affairs article if you really need to see it in magazine form. So it is available for free download. I'll put the links in the description so that you can go and read it for yourself, and I heartily suggest you do, because this is an exceptionally interesting document to read. Of course, coming three years before the very catastrophic terrorist event that they were presaging in this article. And it is an article that goes into some degree of detail about exactly what types of changes that the U.S. government will have to make hopefully before, but at any rate, after the a type of catastrophic terrorist event like a new Pearl Harbor that would transform American society into a before and after period, exactly like 9-11. Some of it is chillingly uh, predictive. Some of it is, I think we can still see it's on the table for things yet to come in all of this war on terror boogeyman hype. But here's a particularly interesting and chilling passage, uh, which says, quote, Moreover, the United States should aspire as a long-term objective to identify every person and all freight entering the country. The goal cannot be attained soon, but even imperfect measures can raise the perceived risk to would-be terrorists that someone could intercept their weapons material. International border crossings are an important bottleneck. The United States should support a system to ensure that every country's passports are computer-readable, with every country's passport control stations linked to a database that can verify the document or indicate the need for further inquiries. As with credit cards, third-party parties can perform this role using data supplied by participating clients. In this case, governments, terrorists could, in this case, governments, terrorists could still use documents of non-participating countries, but those would attract just the suspicion they prefer to avoid, end quote. Well, there you go. There's at least one solution that can be implemented three years before 9-11 happens. We can make card-readable passports, uh, machine-readable passports with, with the data imprinted electronically in them so that they'd be harder to forge and tamper with exactly like the passports that country after country is implementing right now with the biometric details of the passport uh, issuees being embedded right there in RFID chips in the passport itself. Hey, wow, look at that. Problem, reaction, solution. Problem, reaction, solution. And there's Philip Zelikow in the heart of it, both before, during, and after 9-11, preparing the public for the public myth, which, by the way, is one of his areas of specialization in his uh, professorial role, public myth-making. Yes, indeed, you can't make this stuff up. So this is just the, the beginning of the tangled web that Philip Zelikow has woven, and which he wants you to, uh, to buy hook, line, and sinker in his new Coursera course on the history of the modern world. So those of you who are interested, who can stomach uh, his, uh, his lectorial style and stomach just listening and talking to this disgusting villainous uh, cretin uh, for that long, well, by all means, sign up for Coursera and uh, subject yourself to it and report back on, on your findings and the results of uh, what you discover, what propaganda you find hidden in that particular course. 
At any rate, I'm going to leave it there for now, but I hope that you guys out there will continue this research and continue connecting the dots between Philip Zelikow and others who, as we were talking about not so long ago, are parts of the, the bigger puzzle of 9-11 and people who do need to be investigated in any serious criminal investigation of 9-11. Not only the perpetration of those crimes, but their cover-up. And on that note, I'd just like to remind all of you, of course, that the Corbett Report is listener-supported research, and so let me find them. Yes, I'd just like to remind you all that uh, I am currently selling the three-pack of Corbett Report video archive DVDs. These are video DVDs, play in any standard DVD player, about 80 to 90 minutes of material in each one. And uh, they are currently selling all three of them for 3,000 yen. That's a special deal. It's a time-limited offer. Uh, I've finally caught up on all the offers that, uh, all the orders that came in originally for this deal. So I'm going to be uh, ending this deal this weekend. So if you get your order in by the end of this weekend, you will be able to get the three uh, DVDs for 3,000 Japanese yen. And that helps to support this listener-supported open source investigation into characters like Philip Zelikow if you like and support this work. We're going to leave things there for this week. I'm James Corbett of CorbettReport.com thanking you for joining me and asking you to join me again next week for another edition. Inside job, 9-11 was an inside